everybody. This is Hour, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. True. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award authors across the genres. Uh, there's a great conversation up there right now. Actually, there's an interview and an article by Erica Bauermeister, wonderful Seattle area writer. Well, she's an international writer. She just happens to live in Seattle. Uh, she's got a new novel, The Scent. We talked about how she found that, and she wrote a wonderful article about that also. And in two days, I'm going to sit down with a woman named Megan Griswold, who's written a fascinating memoir called uh, The Book of Help. So I'm going to be talking to her. That's going to be up in the next issue. should be very interesting. So check it out on authorsing.org. And of course, we're funded by the wonderful Pacific Northwest Writers Association. These people have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1945. Conference every year. And I will be at that conference as I am every year these, these days, or these in the recent years anyway. I'll be there. My uh, guest today, she's been there in the also. A lot of great good. Donald Moss will be there. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Anything, but there's going to be a lot of people there, and agents and editors, and you can go and you can meet other writers. You can take workshops. You can pitch your books, your stories. It's worth it, people. It's good. What about that at author, or excuse me, at uh, pnwa.org. pnwa.org. Go check it out. All right. So here's a little announcement for me. Uh, this show, or if you've ever, if you've bought a copy, Fearless Writing, How to Create Boldly and Write with Confidence, and you like the show or you like the book, well, guess what? But you don't live in the Pacific Northwest. Well, listen, here's your chance to work with me one-on-one for a Fearless Writing Workshop. I started, just announced it today. Uh, it's going to be an online two-hour Fearless Writing Workshop. We will work face-to-face, you and, well, I can get 12 people. So maximum 12 people can work with me one-on-one to get to deal with blocks, with feeling like you don't have enough time, like maybe you don't have what it takes, like there's no mark. All the emotional, mental blocks that get in your way, that's what the Fearless Writing Workshop's all about. I love to teach these. I've taught them a lot, but I always do them in person. This one is digital, no matter where you live. Maybe you live in Seattle. Maybe you live in Hawaii. Maybe you live in Germany. It doesn't matter. You can be a part of this. It's all on the web. WilliamKanauer.com. It's going to be July 27. Saturday, July 27th, in the afternoon. Go check it out. It's only 50 bucks. You see that? Yeah, I know. Nothing. 50 bucks. WilliamKanauer.com. Check it out. Okay. Enough about me. Let's talk about today's guest, Kate Hanna. She was a author. She was a, her last book. I did an interview with her. A great conversation about her last book. She's done a lot of things. I had a conversation with her, I think, on her, her memoir. Uh, but she's cool. She's got something today. If you're unfamiliar, Kate Montana is a clarion voice for content higher awareness. Her books, uh, inspirational talks, and videos address and provide solutions for the primary drivers behind our individual and social crises today. Lack of self-awareness, confusion about the nature of gender, and an inability to manage our minds and emotions. A journalist for years, she has worked in all areas of communication, from network 
television and radio to newspapers, magazines, and online publications. Kate is the author of five books and hundreds of published articles, a frequent guest on radio and TV talk shows and podcasts like this one. She's an outspoken advocate for actualizing human potential, calls herself an evolutionary advocate. But she's also, ladies and gentlemen, a novelist. Now, yes, she is. Her first novel's out. I think it's her first. It's got to be her first. It's called Apollo and Me. It's on the show now. Kate, welcome to Author. <laughs> hey, Bill. It's so great to be on the show again. <laughs> oh, it's good to have you on, Kate. You, you just you did a lot of stuff. You you uh, well, we can't. We don't have time to talk about all the stuff you've done. But I, so <laughs> some people know of your work from the film. You helped, did you help produce it, uh, What the Bleep? Yeah. No, I, I came on during the um, promotional and the right. distribution end of things. Right, right. Yeah, okay. and, so you and then I started the, that. yeah, I started the newsletter and, you know, wrote about consciousness and quantum physics and interviewed all these all right. physicists and biochemists and helped get all that revolutionary information out to the world. And actually, right. I'm still working with the filmmakers to this day. It's really been a great, great friendship and, and partnership. That's right. I was going to talk to you about rampant uh, feline meat. Come to that in a moment, because uh, we, because you, you now. All right, Kate, I've known you for a while now. Since um, what was your, what was your? Okay, I've got your memoir. I actually use it when I teach. Believe it or not, Unearthing Venus. There it is, Unearthing yep. Venus. Yep. So I met you for the first time. I kind of we, t- I interviewed you for your memoir. Uh, yeah. And then the last book you published, very different kind of book. Uh, it was called The Big E. Was it, is it the big E uh, word? The E big, word. The, <laughs> the E, e word, word, which is ego, right? Enlightenment and other Enlightenment. essentials. <laughs> That's right. And it's great. Book. And this thing just popped out of you. You sold it to Simon and Schuster. And what happened? What happened, Kate? We were talking about this just a <laughs> little bit. Yes. Oh, my God. What a checkered career I've had so far. Start off as a journalist, never use the first person pronoun I in my life. And then the first book I write is a bloody memoir. Can you believe that? Um, Yeah, we talked about that when that book came out in 2013. The E word came out in 2017. And it was a very deep dive into the whole um, consciousness of, of enlightenment and what that really is and how the ego is created and what the ego really is and how it keeps us separate and pretty much miserable yeah. in our lives. And and I'd had this huge awakening in 2007 where I, I finally realized that it was impossible for me to become enlightened, that, you know, a 30-year journey that I'd been on, you know, meditating my ass off, basically trying to become enlightened. Right, um, right. When, when, I, when, when, when awakening happened, um, it was the biggest joke in the world on me because there was no one left at home to be awake <laughs> or to be right. enlightened. And that was enlightenment. There was no Kate Montana around. And I was like, well, right. that's not much fun. But anyway, <laughs> um, Kate came back, unfortunately, after three days of, of liberation and awakenment. And, um, and I ended up writing the E-word because I just couldn't stomach the 
quite frankly, so much of the crap that was being portrayed about enlightenment and the ego in the whole New Age community. It was just like uh-huh. the ego was getting a bad rap, and everybody, you know, was, you know, a five-step, three, two-weekend course to enlightenment and all that kind right. of stuff. And I don't know, something in me just snapped. So I wrote the E-word. Simon & Schuster snapped it up within 24 hours of my agent yeah. offering yeah. it to them. And I was on a rocket ship. I, I mean, yeah, I know when I talked to you, the book had just come out. I was yep. all set and primed to become the next Ichiban Hancho, you know, spiritual <laughs> spirituality teacher. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's certainly what my publisher expected and anticipated. Sure. And, um, geez, Bill, I mean, here, here, here's the rocky road of being a writer. Two weeks after the book that I thought was going to catapult me to fame, glory, success, and as a writer – I realized that I didn't want to be a spiritual teacher. I'd just written right. a book about the dissolution of the ego. And here I am out around, prancing around on stage telling right. people that, you know, let me tell you about enlightenment and the ego. And, right. oh, yes, my name is Kate Montana, and go to my website at www.katemontana.com. Right. Right. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I, you know, I, I realized – I was setting myself. I was setting my own ego up yet again. Yeah, I'll, I'll and tell you. I just. Yeah, I, I was going to say, just I, this is such a tricky balance. I don't, I, you know, I started as a fiction writer. Now I write nonfiction. Uh-huh. Fearless writing is really a spiritual self-help book for writers, and yeah, I'm keenly aware that when you do spiritual teaching, which is really kind of what I do when I talk to people, you have to try. You have to keep your ego in check. It's just, you can't, you know, you can't be the one, but you are there to facilitate something. And it is such a balance. And it's, I think a lot of spiritual teachers lose track of it, you know, kind of, I think maybe, and I can think of a bunch where I'm like, God, I love what you're saying, but you're kind of driving me crazy the way you're saying it. Cause I can feel your ego involvement, but they're just human, you know? Oh, it's so hard. Okay. So you're out there prancing around and, and you, and you, and you're just feeling like (laughs) this is, I'm a fake. I, well, you believe what you were saying, though. I mean, you believed the book. Right? Oh, absolutely. I knew yeah. what I was saying was spot on, which, and that was that was the only thing that really kept me going. But I realized, and it was very true. I realized that I really was setting myself up to increase my ego because I wasn't ready to handle. If yeah, I had become nowhere. famous and successful, I, I, it would have been my demise as far as any sort of spiritual oh, growth would have been concerned. Interesting. Okay. And, yeah, well, the the measure of so here's what happened. Two weeks after the book comes out, I pulled the plug on everything. I kept all of my talks. I kept all of my workshops that I you know that were already arranged. Right. Absolutely, I, I honored those obligations. But after that, I did nothing. No promotion, nada. I mean, so to this day, my in, publisher doesn't. To, to this day, my editor realize. is not speaking to me. Well, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> she, that's not what they. But you know, in fairness to you, uh, unlike most people who are into this, so who do this, go the sort of, of self-help nonfiction route. Usually, they teach first, and then a book comes out of it. And in fact, I've worked with a lot of yeah. those people. Like they're used to they yeah. just get in front of people and they talk, and then they need this book. You had none of that going on, and then you wrote this yeah. book. So you did it backwards uh you did yeah, so you didn't even know that if you wanted to do it yet when you start when you wrote yeah. the book 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I love yeah. speaking. I love speaking in front of groups because it's just like something just moves through me. I get out of the way and, right. and just information flows and it's, I get cold chills and, and it helps yeah. people. And but you that, couldn't do that with the really... spiritual teaching stuff. But when you, so what's the difference between just speaking in front of people and, and, and doing the kind of teaching in front, like with the spiritual okay. stuff? Why well, would... you know, I, I think, I think a lot of that bill is, um, huh, I know damn well what it is. A lot of it is the whole promotion stuff. It's the click throughs. Yeah. It's the funnels. It's the lead magnets. It's the, it's the, uh, the CRMs. It's the, you wanted to it's throw all up, of that you? marketing stuff. And yeah. you know, I, I didn't have the money to throw a hundred thousand dollars at promotion and having to have somebody else do it for me. And right. it just never felt right. But the thing of it yeah. is, is so here's here's what happened. I pulled the plug on my promotion. I slink right. off into the desert after my last <laughs> workshop, <laughs> and live uh, in an RV in Sedona, Arizona, and um and oh just pull God. and just pull the, the the covers over my head. And I felt right. like such a failure. I I knew <sighs> that I'd done the right thing, Bill. I knew it in yeah. my heart that I that I was setting myself up, and so I had yeah. to follow what my gut told me and my heart okay. told me. But that doesn't mean I didn't feel like crap. Oh, um, and and the self judgment oh, was enormous. As I say, my yep. my editor still isn't speaking to me. And um, uh. so I learned. But here's what I finally got, Bill. After about a year plus of acute suffering and confusion, I realized that the level of my self imposed <laughs> sense of failure was right. the level that I was still completely driven in my ego to be a success oh, and to be famous. Right. Yep. The yeah, level God. of my sense of failure was the level that my ego was still invested in being somebody and being yeah. a success. Oh God. It and if I had become a success, it, it truly would have been my downfall. So right. Right. You, you were saying, well, it just doesn't end. Does it? I, this has no. been my <laughs> curse my whole life. You know, I was talking to my wife. I was like, you know, I love the work I do. But like I oh, hanging over my head since I was like 20 has been just like, but you've got to be really famous. Like if you're an artist, how do you know if you've yep. made it? You're freaking famous. That's how you know. And it's just it's insane. So I ha I've had to pull that off myself. And it's kind of I can't just do it once. I kind of have to do it again and again because I can't enjoy mm -hmm. myself. You know, well, you, mm -hmm. of course, you know, it's miserable. Exactly. And it's insidious. Right. And it, it and that is just part of the ego program. It's just part of who we are. It's who we're trained to be socially. It's the yeah. expectations that are set up. You know, it's it's just hardwired into us. So it is not an easy, easy thing to deal with. So no. anyway, right. so now, so the E word, that's yeah. okay. That's, that's where it's at. Now, it when I was yeah. writing the E word, here, here we're going to segue into novel writing. Yeah. Um, so I'm in. I had a dear friend ask me to come uh, and stay with her on the island of Paros in Greece, in the Aegean Sea, uh, yeah. and spend three months writing the e-word and finishing it up, you know, for my deadline. And I was like, hell nice. yeah! So yeah. I went to Greece and I took a break and I, uh, you know, from the from the manuscript and I went and took a trip to Delphi, the uh, land of Apollo, yeah. the, the yes. temple of Apollo. Yeah. I've always had a thing for Apollo. I've always had a thing for Greek mythology ever since I was a uh, kid. So much yeah. so I ended up with a, with a mythology and archaeology. Wait a minute. Um, you started telling me college. about this. You started telling me about this at the writer's conference, I think. Oh, I might have, yeah. I think you so, did. <laughs> do some kind of weird out-of-body kind of experience, didn't you? 
Oh no, no, it's even stranger than that. So okay. I'm 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 at Delphi. I do the tourist thing at the temples, and, and it's beautiful yeah. and it's magical. I'd been there when I was 19. So here's how much I wanted to. I had a thing about Apollo and Greece. It's the very first place I ever traveled when I was 19. When I first left the country, first place wow. I ever went. Delphi. Well, I had to get to Athens Airport first, but then I went straight right. to Delphi. Wow. So there was okay. something going on here. So 40 years later, I'm there. It's great. It's magical. Too many people. The next day, I um, got up early, and I hiked up the old E4 trail up behind the temple complex and hiked up Mount Parnassus. And I'm sitting yeah. in the sun, and it's April. I'm on top of the world. Come on. I've got a, I've got a book deal with Simon & Schuster. Oh, the world is I'm stars of a life. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, my God. The time of my life. So I'm sitting there minding my own business. I'm overlooking the Pleistos River Valley and the temples below. And I had a vision. Right. Right. <laughs> I right. swear to God, I, I'd only had too much, maybe a little bit too much Greek coffee that morning. Um, right. And I just no. I saw. I saw this guy, this beautiful man, bounding over the rocks, and he came up to me, sat down next to me, turned, and he had the most amazing copper-colored eyes, just riveting. Okay. Copper, and right. and he said, and he said, "Hi, I'm Apollo. I have things to tell humanity. Let's talk." And then he disappeared. Right. That was that was my vision. Wow! So Did this happened to you, okay? And you're like, yeah. "Well, what the hell am I going to do with this?" <laughs> yeah, what the hell am I going to do with this? So um, I kind of like staggered back down the mountain, and I actually just I, I just turned on my computer and started writing about my my experience. And sure. but then of course I'm on deadline. I'm writing this other book that's this heavy hitting nonfiction about uh, enlightenment and ego evolution and and evolutionary psychology. So you know I took a deep breath and and had to switch hats and go back to writing that book. But you know, Bill, two days. Get this, I cranked out a whole book. Two days later, I was starting to write Apollo. Wow. I just, wow. I just, I had to know what this being had to say. If I was crazy, if it was a fantasy, if it was real, whatever right. the hell happened, I just went. I got to know more. And yeah. so. You know, I, I, I'm kind of obsessive when I write. I'll sit down at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning when I'm writing a book and just go till 10 o'clock at night. Oh, and you're one of those. And grab something oh. Yeah, I'm one of those. So you can't help but go into an altered state when you when you do that. Yeah, you and know, when so people I tell know. me stories like – when people tell me stories like the one you just told me about, some of our listeners may be like, what's she talking about? What was she on? And that's fine, you know, about seeing Apollo. Yeah. But someone who writes – like it, it makes perfect sense to me. I don't, I don't think I've ever had a vision, but the idea of hearing something, of things coming to you, I mean, that's how I do my work. I don't, I couldn't do it if I didn't hear stuff, receive stuff. You yeah. know, I don't write fiction anymore. So it always makes perfect sense to me. I just don't get the, I don't think I've ever had it. Maybe I have, I don't know. So it all, to me, I have no problem with it. Some people do, but what are you going to do? You know, yeah. you know what happened yeah. to you, but that was where it started. And then you wrote this book. You wrote a book. Uh, you wrote a novel. Did you know when you started it was a novel? You just wanted to find out what it was. I didn't have a clue. All I right. knew was that I wanted to find out more about Apollo and what he had That's to tell true. humanity. So I, I just tuned into those those copper colored eyes and his energy, and I just wow. started writing. And what came out is this freaking love story. Now, Weird. Weird. I mean, talk about is far away from my normal scientific quantum physics yeah, psychology yeah. 
background, journalism background as could possibly be imagined, except maybe writing a memoir. <laughs> right, so, right. So anyway, yeah, so that's how Apollo and Me happened. It, it, um, I was still in Europe. I actually started writing the book. Um, I was staying at a, <laughs> I love this, a 10th century castle up in uh, Austria, <laughs> close, close to the... Uh, oh my God! Close to the Danube River, and I'm in this mm. haunted castle, and and Apollo just kind of kept me awake and 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 protected and safe at night, and I would just sit there in this bloody castle and just write all, all half the night, and wow. um, then I actually finished the book in South Africa. This is so romantic. I finished the book oh, writing. I was okay. on the overnight train from Johannesburg to Cape Town, and I, yeah, I felt very Ian Fleming-ish writing away on this. train. This train, but that's when I finished the book. At least the first pass, the first, the, <laughs> the first <laughs> download happened. And right. I mean, God, the stuff. I mean, as you know, you just said maybe you don't have visions, but you sit there and you're in this receptive alpha, yeah, possibly great. even a theta state, and yeah, information great. comes. And I don't care, you know, whether I was writing the E word or anything else. It's just like when I'm in that kind of a a trance state, especially if I'm writing anywhere from six to 10 hours, it's just like information just comes where it comes yeah. from. It, who knows? Who but knows? you it's know not... that, you know, when it's not you, when your manuscript takes a right hand turn, when you were going left. Exactly. That's how you know you got it right. Especially with fiction, when the characters say something you didn't expect. And what's interesting, I was thinking about this, Kate, as you were beginning this, we began this discussion and I knew where it was headed towards fiction, that the thing about fiction is, uh, and this is true actually when I do public speaking, I often say that I want to feel kind of transparent. I don't want to feel like me. I don't want to be aware of me because I, if I am aware of me when I talk, it goes all sideways. So, but for fiction sure. writing, for sure, and actually I would say nonfiction too, the kind of creative nonfiction I do now. I also want to forget mm -hmm. about myself. You know, I want to forget mm -hmm. about, you know what it is like? It's like Kate. Because when I want to connect to people, and I write about my own life, but I want to forget about the yep. fact that I'm 54, and I have white skin, and I'm a man, and I'm a heterosexual, that and all these things, I have to connect to that universal thing within all of us in order, I feel, in order to reach my readers. So I'm always trying to find that part of me that has no name, gender, race, blah, 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 right? And I feel like it, that's not that hard to do act when you write, for me at least. Does that make sense? Oh, I Oh, totally makes sense. Um, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I become boundaryless, and it's just like, yeah. and talk about lost, talk about missing time. There's no uh, way in hell you can sit at a computer for twelve hours and unless time went missing. That's because right. Because you become so just receptive, and the information just comes. And you know what? You know why? Um, you know why you lose track of time, Kate? It's because you're actually in the present moment, and you're so in the present absolutely. moment. Then there's time. time okay, I don't. I don't want to get too into this, but like time is really us thinking about the past and future more than anything else. When you dial into so. the present moment, which I don't do as often as I would like, then you lose track of time, right? Yeah. 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 All right. Anyway, so, so you're right in this. Dial thing. into those copper-colored eyes and then just let the information rip. And I don't think there was one moment in this book where I actually had to like put my put my computer away and go for a walk and go, well, how am I going to plot this out? There right, was it just none of that. How it nice. How nice. All right. But and now, so, yeah, well, I was going to say you, you it, but 
your work didn't end there, my dear. You also created rampant, you co-created, it sounds like, looks like, rampant feline media. Am I, if I misunderstood something? No, no, no. Betsy Cassie, who is one of the co-creators of What the Bleep Do We Know, um, she and I have been um, cohorts, buddies, best friends, and um, co-conspirators. We yeah. we first started, we, we wrote a, a really um, slanderous New Age um, screenplay that is now turning into a memoir um, of Betsy's right. life before and then going into becoming a spiritual woman um, <laughs> and doing What yeah. the Bleep. Um, and we, we both kind of had a mission no, it's not. We both have a mission to cut right. through the 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 BS of so much of the New Age platitudes and spiritual, yeah. airy fairy, um, yeah, sweetness and light. And it's just like, oh my right. God, you know, the, the the spiritual journey is hardcore. It's a slog. It's a yes. It's a lot of things. Right. So anyway, you, want, anyway, you want to get to the real experience of it, not any of the exactly. Yeah, we wanted to right. get to the to the nitty gritty, and so right. we ended up doing a couple of books together, collaborative books together, and then one thing's led to another. So we just made it official and started Rampant Feline Media. How's that um, going? Just this last year. Um, it's re- it's going great. We're on our yeah. second book um, under this imprint, and um, it's just exciting. And it's it and you know we. <laughs> sounds strange we really don't have any quote-unquote plans it's just kind of happening organically and then the next book shows up and then the next idea shows up and who knows where it's going to be but a a couple years from now we you know bill having had this experience of writing apollo and me i know because this is way more than a love story this is a deep metaphysical exploration of the nature of reality the nature of of man and woman it it dives deep into into gender discrimination the feminine wound sexuality um and the necessary um marriage between sexuality and spirituality and the necessary marriage between man and woman when we've just got to learn our complementary energetic dynamics and learn to dance together so that's what Apollo oh, is like about, it. and plus Apollo had a lot to say about a very negative dark force that has been in play on this planet for thousands of years, which is trying to keep humanity at each other's throats and keep right. women marginalized and powerless. So it's just like the stuff that came out in this book was just like, oh my God, really? So yeah. um, I, I just really know that there is a genre, Bill. There's yeah. there's really no such thing. There is no genre such spiritual as spiritual romance. Fiction. There is no spiritual romance. And there's and there's very and there's no real spiritual fiction. Not it's all much. nonfiction. No. My yeah, agent, well, I mean, my agent is a nonfiction agent, and she was like, yeah. "I love this book to death," and she said, "I'll try to find a home for it, but yeah. you know, I just I don't. Nobody's looking for this." And yeah. I'm like, well, "But Bill, yet. if you look at." If, if you yet. well, not yet, but if we look at the best-selling spiritual books of all time, what have they been? Jonathan Livingston Seagull yeah. by Richard Bach, Illusions yeah. by Richard Bach, um, yeah. uh, the, the Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield. Those yeah. were huge, yeah. and they were all novels. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I think so that there's, like, a, there's a hunger for for stories that have a spiritual arc to them. Uh, because, because you know, I mean, it, it, one of the downfalls that a certain literary fiction can fall into is a sort of pessimism about yes. uh, the human condition. 
And I, yes. I personally have dabbled with it and I found it useless. And so I, I'm an optimist. I can't stop it. But I understand yeah. why it's there. I, you know, I understand why we fall into that. But I do think, well, what, what, you know, spirituality is a tricky word in a lot of ways for some people. I wasn't a fan of it because it, it conjured up images of a world that's beyond the world I live in. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't know what other word to use to talk about uh, what Janine Roth was a great writer and teacher. She wrote um, uh, Women, Food, and God. And she was one of my favorite interviews early on. Wow. And, and she Never and ran Women, Food, and that. God. It was a great, she actually was, a, she really got on Oprah and did a lot of stuff with her around weight. And she said, I said, so why'd you put God in the title? And she said, I needed a word to suggest something beyond the physical for, for the readers. Mm-hmm. And I think that that to me is the role of the spiritual, what we say spiritual, we're talking beyond what the five senses can experience. That sounds yeah. fair. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because if we're the limited mind. to the five senses, it's just like we may as well just give up and roll over now and kiss it goodbye. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even though, interestingly, and you probably just discovered this more through Apollo me than all your other work, when you write fiction, you must rely on referencing the five senses. You are often just, you are spending a lot of your language on what the five senses experience, even though you're trying to point to something beyond the five senses. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And I pointed to a lot beyond the five senses. I mean, that the, the book is a, is a metaphysical journey. What can I say? Right. And right. it also has great sex scenes in it because <laughs> you know, part, of, part, of, <laughs> part of the whole thing was to marry the spirit and the flesh, to bring this right. down to earth, to make this real and livable and relatable. Yeah. And it and it's so interesting because I've done some research since I wrote this book about literary fiction, and if I do yeah. say so myself, the books that I write are literary. Um, yeah. Is that reading literary fiction is more relaxing? They've done studies that have proved it's more relaxing than taking a walk. It redu- in six minutes of literary fiction reading reduces muscle tension by sixty eight percent. See, now it that also needs to be advertised. Up- if I was a, I should tell my my write my novelist friends this, and they could use it as part of their pitch for their yeah, work. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> psychologists have proven that people who read novels and read stories are more open-minded and are less judgmental, and it oh. opens up as well the creative wellsprings in people. So there's tremendous benefit in reading fiction. See, you're still a Good bit fiction. of a journalist, Kate. Just a little bit of a journalist still. You still oh, got that. You're I'm gathering real- information. Telling the story, still a little bit, right? Maybe. Yes. Well, actually, I still write. Actually, I, I write for an alternative health magazine for a Lynn oh, yeah? McTaggart, what, is that? what doctors don't tell you. Um, it's a really great magazine. You know who Lynn McTaggart is? She wrote The Field, The no. Intention Experiment. She was in What the Bleep Do We Know. Okay. She started off life as a journalist in Chicago, anyway, married a Brit, and has been involved in the, the whole consciousness investigation arena for years. And she's uh, also huge in, in um, alternative health. And she's got a great global magazine um, called What Doctors Don't Tell You. Very, very uh, clinically based, very, very good information for anybody who's ooh. into knowing about alternative oh, health possibilities. Well, Kate, can you believe we've already burned through our 30 minutes? Can you believe it? Yeah, I can. Wow, that was fast. <laughs> I'm not quite done with you. Okay, so if people want to get the book, find out about you, et cetera, where should they go, Kate? 
Okay, it's Apollo and Me, and it can be found on Amazon or just order it through any bookstore. Me, I'm Kate Montana, Kate with a C, www.katemontana.com, or on Facebook, right. The Real Kate Montana. The Real Kate Montana, that's right. Okay, yes. so Kate, all right, so that's where they can go, all right. But Kate, I, see, I asked you this question, I've asked you this question before, but I think the answer keeps changing because you keep changing. So right now, <laughs> today, June 18th, 2019, finish the sentence. If writing's taught you anything, it's taught you what? How to be flexible. <laughs> oh, it has taught you that, though. It has. It has. It's taken me for a ride. What can I say? I thought I was the one that was in charge. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Good, good. Well, you learned that. Good. Kate, it is always so much fun to talk to you. Congratulations on the new book. Congratulations on Rampant Feline Media. And I look forward to what, who knows what you write next. Maybe a dictionary for Swahili or something. I don't know what's coming next. (laughs) (laughs) Bill, thanks. Always a great pleasure speaking with you. It's so great to be able to pull on the writer hat and talk writer stuff. Isn't it fun? Isn't it fun? I know. I like it too. All right, Kate, take it easy. (laughs) Thanks. Aloha. Aloha. That's why she's in Hawaii, people. All right. Be flexible. It's true. It's true. Don't decide you know where the river's going. Just follow it. Just follow it. It'll take you someplace good. Okay. Remember, Fearless Writing Workshop, online workshop, anywhere in the world. Go to WilliamCanower.com. If you want to buy Apollo and me, go to KateMontana.com. That's Kate with a C. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, RJ. You're awesome. Till next time, find something you love to do. Do it. 